Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels, and our guest this week, we have Jason Mitchell back on the show. Jason's going to give us a rundown on his favorite fall walleye presentations, uh, and uh, it's just a fun list. It's a fun conversation to have ahead of you know almost any season. And, you know, for, for these these anglers like Jason, guys that are out there doing it, he fishes a lot of different bodies of water. He's even he's a multi-species guy, um, you know, and, and all the technology changing, all the learning that's going on. These conversations, when we say, you know, list your top five presentations all time, these lists change a lot, especially with anglers like Jason. And the conversation changes. So we had this conversation last year. It's different this year. There's just different things going on. And it's not just the presentations themselves and the technology, you know, with, you know, the, everything is just becoming more technical and detail oriented and nuanced with, you know, uh, presentation specific equipment, rods and reels and, and uh, line and, you know, everything that we know there, the lures are developing. But the, our favorite bodies of water are going through changes all the time. And so how we fish you know, bodies of water changes. Even in just a few short years, there's just things that are going on that are different. Year classes of fish are changing and the forage base is changing. And and so we got to stay on top of all this stuff. And I just, uh, it never gets old. It's a great conversation that just never gets old. Talking to guys that are out there fishing all the time, you know, every season out of the year. And for fall, for a lot of us, you know, the, the open water season is winding down. You know, that's the reality of it. But ultimately, this is some of the best fishing of the year. So if you can if you can just muster up one more outing, if you can just muster up the time to get out one more time, I mean, you know, it, it, it just seems like fall is, is the time of year where it's so worth it. And, uh, you know, so this is a great conversation. Just, just something that, uh, you know, keeps everybody really hyped. Uh, we touch on a lot of great things. Uh, Jason talks about pulling cranks. We talk about live bait rigging, um, you know, and, and jigging presentations, pitching jigs, uh, glide baits, um, and how forward sonar has really influenced a lot of Jason's decision making along these lines of, you know, his favorite fall presentations. And we're obviously going to break down the patterns and on some of the Jason's favorite bodies of water. And uh, yeah, just a great all around fall walleye fishing conversation. Let's get to it. Jason Mitchell, fall walleye presentations let's do it hey the open water fishing season is far from over but the reality is for many of us it is winding down let's take a minute here and appreciate everything that happened hopefully we made enough memories that can last us for another year and if we're really lucky we had a few fish fries along the way let's finish the season strong and continue to follow the clean drain dry protocols in preventing the spread of aquatic nuisance species For those of you that are setting your sights on the sky, waterfall hunters, you need to thoroughly clean all equipment after each trip. That includes decoys, boats, waders, even washing the dog helps. It all needs to be clean and dry before moving to a new location. By following these guidelines, we can protect our waters for generations to come. For more information or tutorials on these clean, drain, dry protocols, head to North Dakota Game and Fish website. That link is in the description of this podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Northland Fishing Tackle. Northland is a brand you can trust. Since the beginning, they've been creating innovative lure designs made of high-quality components. Most importantly, when you buy fishing tackle that says Northland on the package, you can rest assured it is designed for one thing and one thing only, and that is catching fish. 
To check out more of what they got, head to their website, NorthlandTackle.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. This episode is brought to you by Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Devil's Lake is one of North Dakota's premier outdoor recreational destinations. And to find out more about what the lake and the community of Devil's Lake has to offer, head to devilslakend.com. That link is in the description. This episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by Shields. Shields is your one-stop shop retailer for all your outdoor needs with over 30 locations across the United States. Every single department is full of the best brands on inventory and a knowledgeable staff to give you great service, including the fishing department. For more information or to find a store near you, head to the link in the description of this podcast. That's shields.com. And if you don't find a location near you, rest assured, all their best deals are online as well. So the only thing left to do is to go check them out. Link is in the description of this podcast. Fall walleyes. We're going to jump right into this. I want to cover uh, cover ground with you. So we're, we're not, we don't even need to get much of an update. It's fall walleye season here. Um, I want to go through a list of presentations with you. That's really the fun conversation with anglers, at least the, you know, that I have on the street. Everybody's always asking, you know, you know, how are you targeting them and, and all the, all the fun new conversations around all the presentations and everything that are out there. So I want to do a fall walleye conversation with you revolving around your favorite presentations. And then I'll ask you more questions along those lines. But do you have a list? Do you just have like a like a top four, top five, just like a go-to arsenal when you go into this fall season or any of these fall seasons like like that you just know are going to be your go-to presentations? Do you just have like a top one? Can we start there? Well, you know, to be honest, you know, it's probably all of the above in the sense that, you know, in the fall, there's some shallow patterns happening on some lakes where you might be, say, pitching jigs, pitching plastics. Um, there might be still some green weeds that you're fishing in some lakes. Other lakes, you know, you see a lot of deep, prominent patterns where the fish go deep or they're relating to deep structures. So it might be, say, rigging with a big chub or it might be, you know, pulling lead core. Or it might be using, a, say, a glide bait, you know, and some of these patterns happen in conjunction with forward-facing sonar. Some of them don't, you know, but... Uh, you know, early in the fall can sometimes be head scratching in the sense that when you get these nice, warm, early September days, especially, and it's like the pattern is there is no pattern. There's some fish shallow, there's some fish deep, there's some fish here, there's some fish there, but there's not a lot of fish anywhere. And what you see a lot is you see a lot of transition. You see a lot of fish that seem to be just moving from point A to point B. And sometimes when it when you kind of get those head scratching times, you know, especially, you know, some anglers call it the turnover, you know, where the lake turns over and there's no comfort zone per se. And the fish are all over helter skelter. Uh, I, I like to troll crankbaits a lot in the fall, especially early in the fall. I feel like I can just cover water. And a lot of times I find that big contours, big spots just seem to have the potential to hold more fish. And when the fish are really spread out and scattered, I like to troll crankbaits a lot. Uh, and what you'll notice when you're trolling crankbaits, you know, at times when the fish are scattered is, you know, you might hit a waypoint when you catch a fish and uh, 200 yards down, you catch another fish. And, you know, it's not like the fish are relating to a spot. They're relating to a zone. They're relating to an area. And it's kind of a deal where, you, you know, you have to break it down. How many bites am I getting an hour? How many fish am I catching an hour? If it's one, two good bites an hour, you know, those will add up. You can have a good day of fishing, you know, 
but uh you know trolling cranks is a is a big thing for me when the fish are just scattered and and it's hard to make sense of things and uh the other thing in the fall is, you know, go with the bigger profiles, go with bigger baits. You know, we just got back from Rainy Lake and we found fish just stacked on a, oh, a 20 to 24 to maybe a 28 foot contour. And they're just kind of spread out in an area. But, you know, there's a lot of, you know, we were marking bait fish, we were marking fish. And uh, we were pulling those big rumblebees, size 11, which looks huge when you hold it in your hand, but it's a big bait. And uh, those fish were just eating it. And what's interesting is I put a number nine on a smaller size for a little while, and I caught a few fish, but my catch rate went way down when I went back down to a smaller bait. So then I went back to the number 11 and started catching fish again. And so, you know, I think that's worth pointing out. I've seen it over and over again in the fall is that these fish definitely seem to key in on and and prefer that bigger bait. You know, like whatever size you're using, say in May, June, July, don't be afraid to go double the size, triple the size, of that bait in, uh, you know, September and October, especially. Where, where does speed, I mean, when we talk pulling cranks, speed is always like a big part of the conversation when it comes to these fall, this fall cranking for you, like where, where does like your speed stack up in your priority list? Well, I, it can be important. I mean, a lot of times I'm trolling maybe two miles an hour is probably an average. I might catch myself getting up to two, four at times. You know, there's times like in the middle of summer when it's water temperatures are cranky and the fish just have this super high metabolism where I've seen it where it's like a light switch where if you start pulling at three miles an hour, you just start getting bit. And they're the most violent strikes you could ever imagine from a walleye. But what I find in the fall is, you know, it's more of a you know, two mile an hour. And I've also seen it where you get later on in the fall, there comes a point where that crankbait bite dies, where, you know, it's like the fish just get lethargic, you know, especially get some really severe cold fronts and the water temps drop, say six, seven degrees in a short amount of time. And it's just starting to set up where it's about ready to freeze. Sometimes I've seen it where, you know, it just gets tougher and tougher where sometimes we're trolling, you know, really slow speeds, like 1.4, 1.6 with crankbaits you know and so i have seen it where you have to go the other way late in the fall where you have to really crawl down and, and slow your speed down you know a lot of times i'm just using a bow mount trolling motor you know to really dial in my speed but uh i would say two miles an hour is probably the average but sometimes late in the year when those fish are in a funk you know you you, you slow down to a mile and a half and you start getting bit again so right on man right on like I mean, you know, pulling cranks, it, 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 notorious for covering water. You're you're gonna figure out other things. It works good in conjunction with other presentations where, you know, you pull cranks for a while. You can find some fish, and then you kind of know what zone to be in, and you can kind of slow down and do other things. But for you, like, if pulling cranks, you know, is kind of gonna be your go-to that day. If it just feels like a go-to, you know, crank pulling kind of day. Do you just put them in at the boat ramp and go, or do you do some map study? Are there some type of spots that you just feel like, um, you know, pulling cranks has an efficiency with? Like, like what are some of those other fine details on those fall cranking kind of days? Well, it it can vary. I wish there was a one size fits all. I mean, it it it's all over the board. Like on Devil's Lake, you know, some of these roadbeds really fire up in the fall. Some of these deep contour transition areas where the old shorelines in say that twenty two to twenty six foot of water, and there's a little bit of a hard bottom, like a little bit of rock. Those areas can fire up. Sometimes, you know, the outside of what's left of the weed line can fire up. You know, and so sometimes we're trolling cranks in some parts of the lake. We might be trolling in nine feet or seven feet on the edge of the weed line. And then there's other areas where we're trolling on 12 feet of water on the top of a road bed or we're trolling 24 feet of water along an old 
shoreline. You know, so it can vary that way. And then, you know, on some lakes, for example, you know, it might be the hard bottom, soft bottom transition, you know, on the edge of the basin. Or it might be, you know, uh, shallow rock and sand, you know, especially after dark, you know, on a lot of lakes that really fires up, especially with these full moons, you know, that we're going to have in September and October. It's like every full moon just keeps getting better and better, you know, for after dark bites. And, you know, then you look at the reservoirs, you know, a lot of times you're, you know, somewhat near the old river channel or at least where the tributaries dump into the old river channel. You know, those river channels in the fall, it's almost like a highway for fish. You know, those fish and the bait fish move up and down that old river channel at deep water, especially if there's smelt or ciscos in the system. And uh, those fish are just on the edge of it on that contour, on that break, you know, just either resting after, you know, going out and chasing fish suspended or, you know, just ramming bait fish against those hard uh drops or fast dropping breaks you know and so it can vary i mean there's a lot of different stuff that you can consider and there's a lot of different patterns every lake has its own personality you know and so that's the thing is that you know you can't say that always do this or never do that with fishing because there's always an exception and there's always such variation you know when you look at different fisheries different forage bases you know different types of structure you know it uh, but one thing i'll say is a lot of times if you don't know like say you just haven't been fishing for a couple of weeks you have no idea where to start and i'm just going to go down to deep water on scotkawee or i'm just going to put in at graham's island on devil's lake whatever it is you know you spend a half day trolling and uh just you're covering a lot of water you're looking at a lot of water with your electronics you're going to have a really good idea after doing that for a while you know, you're going to have a really good idea where, you know, a spot to try, say, glide baits, you know, jigging ramps, pitching puppets, pika minnows, whatever you like to use, or rigging minnows, whatever it is. I mean, all these different, all these presentations kind of complement each other, too. A lot of times I would troll just to, you know, get a feel for everything. And then, you know, what if I wanted to, there's spots where I could just sit, you know, because I'd looked at enough water where I, you know, eliminate a lot of dead water is probably the big thing is you eliminate the dead water you know that's the toughest part of fishing is when you get to where the fish are and you can just focus on a zone whether it's 100 yards or a quarter of a mile whatever it is and there's a lot of fish in that area if you can catch them a lot of different ways you can do a lot of different things to catch the same fish but it's just eliminating that dead water there's going to be areas where there's no fish and that's what trolling does it enables you to know, get through that quicker so that you can find them if that makes any sense yeah man what uh what would be presentation number two? Well, I love rigging big chubs. <laughs> yeah, dude, me too. I, I mean, when you feel that chub just start to shudder and shiver, and you can just feel that chub just trying to lift that weight up off the bottom, and you can just tell they're going berserk, especially, you know, you're using forward-facing sonar, and you can watch that big fish just coming in on it, you know, and a lot of times they'll, you know, they'll kind of sit back and stare, then all of a sudden, boom, they're all over you, and you feel that minnow just shuddering, then all of a sudden you just feel it stop and you just get that dead weight and that mushiness and like okay he's there you know and then lay into him you know i i just i think that's a lot of fun i mean i just it's just a fun way to catch fish and it's very very deadly effective in the fall you know big minnows can work all year but big chubs um i tell you what that's a in the fall that's just that can be dynamite you know as far as just catching fish when nothing else will um that's obviously a top presentation. Obviously, your glide baits, you know, that can be a big thing. And, you know, at the end of the day, you, know, you look at how many fish a jig in a minnow catches in the fall, whether you're pitching shallow on, say, a windswept rock shoreline or you're fishing deep structure below the boat, you know, a jig in a minnow's probably caught more fish in the fall than anything 
hands down, you know, and there's times where we still go back to that. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, you know, new, uh, baits and lures and you know stuff that's getting a lot of headlines now you know glide baits forward facing sonar new plastics all this stuff but at the end of the day some days you know you go out and the fish just aren't eating that you know and uh you drop a jig in a minnow over the side and boom you get bit you know so there's no sense in overthinking this you know you just use what works that day you know but i will say that sometimes it's like a light switch sometimes you struggle and you start snapping a glide bait through those fish and it's just like a light switch going on where they're just boom they're just hitting it and they're on or sometimes you catch a couple fish really fast and then the fish that are left don't want to eat it and then you throw a jig and a minnow at them and catch a few more uh other days you throw that at them and you either spook them with it or they just maybe they follow it but they just don't hit it or they just they just they're not into it and uh you know you go back to a jig and a minnow and and uh that gets hit you know so you know you have to you know, you have to have an open mind somewhat, you know, you try different things until you run out of time is kind of what I always, you know, fishing's a process of elimination at the end of the day. You just try different things, keep trying, 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 and then hopefully you find something that works before you run out of time. Yeah. And that, you know, and even like kind of jumping backwards to, you know, talking about, uh, you know, pulling cranks and what that does for you. Like there's, there's a versatility to it, which is, which is nice because you described it, you know, when you're fishing, you know, it's a presentation that works in nine feet of water. It works in 15 feet of water, 25 feet of water. And you can do all of that, you know, in a matter of three passes, you know, in a good area. And, and you're going to learn so much. Yeah. The only thing I would say is that you you, know, you really need bigger spots. You know, it's, it's, it's great for looking at big chunks of water and breaking it down. Once the spots get smaller and smaller, well, then that's the time to switch up to other presentations, Yeah, you know, but the, the crankbaits enable you to break down and look at the big picture, you know? And so that's why I like to mix up crankbaiting with some of the other presentations. It's not that one's better than the other. They really truly complement each other. I mean, it's really easy to throw jigging wraps or glide baits in the wrong spot. Okay. There's a lot of water. You're going to spot lock on each point and, you know, and drive around trying to mark fish. You can just put the crankbaits out and go and maybe you go for say 400 yards and it's just dead. You go up a couple of miles and you do it again. You know, you can just break down and, and, and look at the big picture a lot better. And sometimes that's what you have to do in the fall. Yeah. And then moving into, you know, I don't, I don't want to leave the, you know, the, the chub or the live bait rigging. I want to break that down a little bit because I feel like, you know, there's definitely, there's definitely more ways to skin that cat as well. Not everybody rigs minnows the exact same. And I'm not just talking about, I'm not just talking about, you know, your setup, uh, which I I do love asking, you know, setups, like, like how you like to rig them, but also the kind of spots and the kind of habitat you like to drag them through and how fast you like to go and all those things, maybe break down, you know, like a, like a really good scenario, like a, like an ideal scenario in your mind for pulling Creek chubs, say on devil's lake. Well, any lake, I mean, I like spots that are, say, when you have it narrowed down to, Oh, ideally, you know, say a hundred yards or smaller. And, uh, you can pull chubs a lot faster than what I think a lot of people think. A lot of people, I think, think you got to be real slow and just let the chub work. And I used to have that mentality too. You know, that's how we started, but I've since learned that you can pull them a mile and half an hour and just, you know, and move them, you know, get going. And, uh, sometimes what I'll do is I'll, I'll drag them pretty fast. And then when I start marking fish, then I really slow down. I'll loop back on you know, and make a couple of passes over them, you know, and, and just turn right back around on those fish. And, um, 
So sometimes I'll, I'll drag them kind of fast and then slow down. And sometimes you'll catch a fish while you're dragging fast that you don't mark. But, uh, you know, you can, uh, you can fish them a lot of different ways. I think probably the, you know, what the, probably the biggest thing you see is variation is just the line and the hook size. I mean, I've been on water where, you know, I fish with guys that really like really small hooks. I'm talking like number four, number six octopus style hooks, really small hooks and, um, light line, you know, like a six foot or I'm sorry, a six pound snail, you know, and, uh, kind of a deal where they'd start off with a six foot snail in the morning. And by the end of the day, it'd be three foot, you know, cause they'd be just retying, you know, if it got nicked up and, uh, and it's really a finesse deal. And on some water, you know, especially Northern Minnesota, you know, you get clear water, uh, maybe a little bit more pressure. That seems to be kind of the overall theme. But like on Sakakawea, you know, a lot of times we're using the biggest hooks we can. I'm using a one-aught mosquito hook, like an owner one-aught is my favorite. And uh, a lot of times I'll use like a 12-pound fluorocarbon snell, you know, just to make it a little bit more pike-proof and uh, just to, you know, uh, make it a little bit more rugged and durable. And uh, sometimes, you know, I'll just run it on a bottom bouncer. You know, I don't, I don't even worry about feeding line. You know, that was the other thing is you typically you know a lot of people run it on and run a chub on an egg weight you know the snell on an egg weight that can slide and then a swivel and uh you get bit and then you open up the bale or you feed the fish you know and um you know you don't necessarily have to do that at all sometimes you know you can just drag them with a bottom bouncer and basically when that rod tip hits the water touches the water and that rod's loaded up you just set into them you know that's how hard these fish will hit them at times and sometimes you just get less mortality with the fish too in the sense that you just hit them right away and you hook them in the mouth versus letting them swallow it you know and so you know there's different ways to do it there's no right or wrong it's whatever is working for you you know uh, sometimes you start out doing it one way and you miss a few fish think well i better do it this way instead you know but uh, uh probably the big thing though is you know, a lot of times I keep my snails kind of short, you know, like six feet or less, you know, a lot of times probably three or four feet be an average length, uh, just so that that chub has a harder time getting away. And the other thing I like to do at times is pinch the tail off, you know, just take off some of that horsepower. So that way those chubs can still roll around and fight hard, but they can't, they can't shoot up and get away from the fish so much. You know, I think sometimes those chubs get so hyper that, you know, fish aren't real aggressive, just don't have it in them to chase them down, you know? And so, Sometimes you have to almost subdue them a little bit and you get bit more. So, This episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by Shields. Shields is your one-stop shop retailer for all your outdoor needs with over 30 locations across the United States. Every single department is full of the best brands on inventory and a knowledgeable staff to give you great service, including the fishing department. For more information or to find a store near you, head to the link in the description of this podcast. That's shields.com. And if you don't find a location near you, rest assured, all their best deals are online as well. So the only thing left to do is to go check them out. Link is in the description of this podcast. Devil's Lake, North Dakota is one of North Dakota's premier outdoor recreational destinations. We talk about the fishing all the time on this show, but to find out what the lake and the community has to offer, which is way more than we ever talk about on this show, you can head to devilslakend.com and get all that. We're talking about the lodging and restaurant options and just the lay of the land and everything going on in the community. There's all kinds of stuff all summer long going on in and around the community of Devil's Lake. Also, our favorite, the fishing tab. 
It's going to give you real-time fishing reports, directions to fish cleaning stations and boat landings and shore fishing piers, which are awesome, by the way. Also, it's going to give you a list of options for boat rentals or guide services and bait shops. Everything that you need to plan your next adventure in Devil's Lake is at devilslakend.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. Hey, the open water fishing season is far from over, but the reality is for many of us, it is winding down. Let's take a minute here and appreciate everything that happened. Hopefully we made enough memories that can last us for another year. And if we're really lucky, we had a few fish fries along the way. Let's finish the season strong and continue to follow the clean, drain, dry protocols in preventing the spread of aquatic nuisance species. For those of you that are setting your sights on the sky, waterfall hunters, you need to thoroughly clean all equipment after each trip. That includes decoys, boats, waders, even washing the dog helps. It all needs to be clean and dry before moving to a new location. By following these guidelines, we can protect our waters for generations to come. For more information or tutorials on these clean, drain, dry protocols, head to North Dakota Game and Fish website. That link is in the description of this podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Northland Fishing Tackle. Northland is a brand you can trust. Since the beginning, they've been creating innovative lure designs made of high-quality components. Most importantly, when you buy fishing tackle that says Northland on the package, you can rest assured it is designed for one thing and one thing only, and that is catching fish. To check out more of what they got, head to their website, northlandtackle.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. So, you know, one thing that we, we're talking a lot about, especially now with forward sonar, is that, you know, we're, we're trying to get away from driving over the top of our fish, especially in shallower water, especially in clear water situations, spooky fish. That's a conversation we've had a bunch. With live bait rigging, a lot of times we're dragging the, you know, dragging that bait and, uh, you know, we're staying on a contour. What do you do? What do you say to those, like, 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 uh, like, like, what are some things that you feel like could be productive uh, with spooky fish as it pertains to rigging live bait, rigging big minnows? Well, you know, the biggest thing is you see it with water clarity where, you know, in the Dakotas, you know, we don't have zebra mussels yet, knock on wood. And so like Sakakawi at Devil's Lake, you can fish below the boat. And I feel like that's way more precise. I mean, you can cast to them if you want to, but why hook a fish 30 feet away from the boat when you can hook them right below the boat? I just feel like less can go wrong. And so there's still a lot of water where you can catch fish below the boat or right behind the boat, but we're seeing it more and more. I mean, Mille Lacs, Leech Lake, I mean, a lot of these lakes are really, really clearing up, not just zebra mussels, but they're just, uh, you know, they're clearing up, you know, just the septic tanks are different now. I mean, there's just a lot of environmental factors that are clearing up these lakes. And so there's a lot of water, especially in Minnesota, where you have really good water visibility, where it almost feels like the days of catching fish below the boat are done. You know, you, you can see them. I mean, they, they just spook away from the boat. You just cannot get over the top of these fish anymore. And so then it is almost all a casting deal, you know. And, um, you know, again, I mean, just taking a like a wide gap hook, you know, and just going through the top lip. You know, the top lip of a chub is really tough. I mean, you can hook them through the top lip and, you know, you can cast chubs too, you know, or cast a jig and a minnow. You know, a rainbow is a great minnow at times, you know, and obviously shiners are really popular where you can get them in, you know, northern Minnesota especially, but, um, you know, a jig and a minnow or a jig and a chub, 
is something that you can cast at fish. If you can still find leeches in the fall, you know, that's another thing that you can cast at fish with a slip bobber, for example. Uh, you can still catch fish on a half crawler in the fall, you know, on a slip bobber. And so, you know, we've done shows, for example, on Leech Lake where, you know, drive around, look for fish with forward-facing sonar. Once we find them, then just throw slip bobbers right at those fish. And that's deadly. I mean, that is a deadly, deadly way to catch a fish. And so you'll see nuances of fishing change from water to water. And probably the biggest thing that's changed is water clarity on some bodies of water where it used to be where, you know, all that water, I mean, people grew up fishing a live bait rig below the boat, back trolling, bail open, finger on the line, you get bit, you feed the fish line. You know, that's how everybody grew up fishing a lot of that water. And you go to that water today, and that is not nearly as effective as it was. And it's just because you can't get over the top of those fish anymore. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like having that as part of the discussion because, you know, one thing, you know, like this particular conversation with you, I feel like, you know, like every fall we have one of these shows or you and I have this discussion and I ask you about presentations every fall. But if we were to go back and listen to even like last year's episode or the year before, or the year before, like the discussion changes or it should anyways, you know, with somebody that's learning, somebody that's spending time out on the water, like you're, you know, you, you should be evolving uh, with some of this information that, and, uh, you know, and, and not just, not just learning about the fish, but also, you know, the, a lot of these presentations are becoming more nuanced. You know, the baits are, the baits are becoming more forgiving, you know, like talking about that glide bait conversation. I want that to be part of this conversation with, um, you know, your recommendations and your experience, because, you know, it, it was difficult to, to get confidence in some of those presentations, uh, but there's no question they produce this time of year, but the new baits that are coming out, there's, you know, they're, they're a little more forgiving where people, anglers are, you know, just figuring this stuff out a little bit more. So my point is that this, this same conversation year after year changes on its own with the bot water bodies of water changing, but also the presentations, the lures, you know, the, the engineering and the development. Yeah. Some of it's zigging when everybody zags, right? I mean, something will work you know, work really well. And then everybody starts doing it and it doesn't work quite as well as it did. And some of us, maybe the, that population of fish is getting more pressure. They're getting caught more, you know, whatever. And then you go and do something different at the time that nobody else is doing. And then you, you stumble into a population of fish that's been left alone for a long time. And so you'll see kind of an ebb and flow with that too. You know, sometimes with fishing, what's old is new, you know, like the glide bait thing, it's still something you have to have in your toolbox. Um, I think across the board, a lot of people would tell you that uh, the glide baits probably aren't working as good as they were, say, four or five years ago when it was brand new. You know, it's still working. It's still working at times. There's still windows where it's deadly or you pop off a couple of fish really fast and then the rest of them kind of go into a funk. But it definitely seems like, you know, I don't know how smart a fish is. I mean, how smart can they be? You know, you look right. at a big reservoir like Sakakui, it's you got to think that a lot of those fish have never seen a lure or you know, and so you wonder why, you know, it's, it's fascinating really, but it's just seems like sometimes when things are new, it really works. And then as everybody does it, the, you know, it, the, the productivity or the magic kind of declines over time, you know, but um, you look at glide baits, I mean, and, and here's my theory just from watching forward facing sonar is that I think there's times where fish are positioned a little bit higher off the bottom than what we think in the sense that Sometimes when you go over fish with 2D sonar, right, you know, when they're right below the boat, a lot of times I think what happens is that fish hunker down in the sense that they might have been, say, four or five, six feet off the bottom. As you pass over them, they go down into the bottom. 
Okay. And so when you mark them, they look like they're a foot off the bottom, but the reality is that they were higher until the boat came over them. Okay. And a lot of times when they do go down like that, sometimes, especially in clear water, it kind of puts them in a funk where they don't want to eat. Okay. And so you got to get those high ones. The only way you get the high ones is casting to them. And so when you pop a jig through them, a lot of times that jig just doesn't go as high. I mean, we're, we're a lot of times we're fishing a jig a little bit different cadence. We're shorter hops, we're dragging it. But basically, a lot of times when we fish a jig, we fish it closer to the bottom. And a lot of times, I think what happens, we're actually going below those fish. We don't even realize it. Whereas when you throw a glide bait into them and you pop it, that glide bait might swing up four or five feet up off the bottom and then glide down. Well, it falls in their line of sight. Then they chase it down to the bottom to pin it to the bottom. And when it hits the bottom and they pin it to the bottom, that's when you know 90% of your hookups are. Every once in a while, a big fish will eat it on the drop. But usually it's right when it hits the bottom and they pin it. And then that's why you snag so many fish in the face with that type of lure. Okay. And uh, you, if, what I find is sometimes if you fish jigs and plastics and jigs that way by giving it that, that glide bait snap, you'll catch those fish too. You know, you don't necessarily have to use a glide bait with that cadence. That cadence just catches fish, gets their attention comes up in their line of sight when they're three, four, five feet off the bottom. I think that's a big part of it is that when they're up off the bottom like that, you could maybe swim something through them and catch them, but that's a lot harder to, to, to count down the bait and keep the right speed, the right cadence, and, and swim it that high up off the bottom and keep it in front of them. Uh, with forward-facing sonar, it's a lot easier because you can watch it. But with this, with the glide baits, it's, it's uh, I don't want to say it's idiot-proof, but you just snap it, and on the snap, you're going to come up in the, where that fish can see it, and then they chase it down. And I think chasing that bait fish down into the bottom is just a powerful trigger. You know, um, minnow darts, trying to get away, it darts into the rocks, darts into the bottom to try to hide. Those walleyes, they know that, and they're right behind it, and they're there to eat, you know. And so it just, it, sometimes it's like a light switch where it just triggers a reaction that some other presentations just don't do. You know, and so you look at glide baits, you know, you got the junior app, which is kind of a classic, and that's a, you know, and that entire family, I mean, there's some mystique to that lure. And then you've got uh, Johnny Darters, which is another lure that's got a regional popularity in some circles. Uh, it's a little bit bulkier lure with rattles, and so it's a little bit louder. And then uh, I caught a lot of fish this summer on the, it's called a pitching puppet, which is, uh, it's kind of got a elongated tail fin. It's got a lot bigger swing. You don't have to pop it as hard as what I find. So, like, if you have, like, bad shoulders, bad wrist, and you just can't physically snap, some of these baits all day that pitching pub would probably be a good bait to try because it it seems to catch fish better on more of a softer hop and you don't have to pop it quite so hard to make it work and then uh you've got your tika minnows which is a phenomenal bait um you know the nice thing about that particular lure is it doesn't have a plastic fin it's got a zinc fin built right into the lure so you don't have to worry about those breaking off so if you're fishing around rocks or a lot of times these these bills or these plastic fins they break off in the net when you get a fish on you know and um so there's a lot of different lures that'll work. Um, you know, the other thing too with fins is, you know, it doesn't hurt to just take a dab of uh, super glue, you know, before you use them, you know, and just kind of strengthen and reinforce that tail fin because if you catch enough fish on them, they are going to pop off, you know, so. Right on. Like setups is a big one. You know, if you can think about 
the you know some of the more uh, common situations that you find yourself in in terms of you know the spots the conditions and all that the number of fish that you're going through is there like a setup anymore do you have you like changed your mind at all um you know uh, on your setup with glide baits yeah i mean again coming back to glide baits are changing um we're learning more about how to fish them and then also technology is changing rods are being built specifically for this stuff i mean all that like like do you have like a one size fits all recommendation on your setup or do you have some tweaks well what i find interesting is you know i talked to a lot of different anglers that i have a lot of respect for that i know catch a lot of fish and uh you know, there's not a clear consensus. I mean, I think generally people like a little bit longer rod, like say a six four, six and a half to maybe a seven foot rod. Uh, it just depends on whatever's comfortable as far as giving it that rod tip, that snap. I like to use like say a medium action, a medium moderate action, something that has got enough tip to when I snap that rod, you can almost hear it. And you can really get that lure to pop. I I, uh, I really believe you could definitely use too soft of a rod. And uh, sometimes... Uh, fast action rods will actually it's almost like the tip bends too much when you snap it and so i like to have a moderate stiffer rod you know in in every rod manufacturer is a little bit different too as far as what they call moderate what they call medium you know and so but i like i'd rather have too stiff of a rod than too soft of a rod and i know a lot of really good anglers that that swear by they they love to pitch them with monofilament I've always been a braid guy. Um, I just like using, like, say, an eight-pound braid is perfect in my, you know, from what I've seen. And then uh, what I do like to do is use a tiny barrel swivel about at two to three feet above the lure. And uh, obviously it's, you know, maybe not ideal for casting because you don't want to reel that tiny swivel through your guides or eyelets. But I find that, you know, those, those baits put so much twist into your line that ultimately your, you know, your line's just a twisted mess after a day of fishing. And one thing that happens is you have to give that lure enough slack when it falls. And when you give that lure slack, if your line's really twisted, sometimes it'll wrap up on your rod tip and stuff, but then you get hit with a fish and your line's wrapped up, you know, and, or un, wrapped up in your guides or on your rod tip. I, I absolutely hate that. So I always put a little swivel and then just, you know, like say a 12-pound fluorocarbon leader, Again, I know people that use snaps and snap swivels uh, to connect the lure so they can change them and stuff. I always like to tie direct. I feel like I got tangled up in the lure less um, by just tying direct with a palomar knot. And so I just tie it direct to the to the glide bait. And, um, and probably the big thing is just, you know, experimenting with your cadence. Sometimes I'll do like a two-snap cadence. Sometimes I'll do a one-snap cadence. Sometimes it's a, you know, three to four-foot sweep or snap and then sometimes too when you're watching these fish sometimes as you get close to the boat you gotta maybe tone it down and make small hops because they're kind of just right behind it chasing it following it and they're kind of tilted up and you can see that they're into it right they're they're looking for an opportunity to hit it well that might not be the best time to snap it four feet and then the lure disappears momentarily you know and so a lot of times i'll snap it high when i'm away from the boat and when I get a fish following it, then a lot of times I tone it down and I can't tell you how many times you'll see fish follow it right below the boat. And then they're below the boat. And then you're twitching it, almost working it like you're ice fishing. You know, you're just giving a little pop, raise it up, little pop, 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 raise it up. And then they just come up and eat it, you know? And so, you know, there's a lot of variation, you know, there's not like, you know, I guess at the end of the day, you could just cast it out and snap it three, four feet at a time with your eyes closed and catch fish that way. Absolutely. But if you, especially if you can watch the, 
you know, watch your presentation and watch how fish respond to it. It's really a game of cat and mouse. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do with that lure to, to try to trigger them and get bit. I want to talk a little bit about like spots and structure and habitat a little bit, like specifically weeds. Like if you're fishing, uh, uh, you know, weeds in the fall, um, any, any, anything around that topic, I just want to give weed fish a little bit of love, um, you know, wherever it is, if you have like a specific memory where you did some, you know, we're fishing in and around some weeds in the fall on any body of water where you maybe just had a really great day or, or you learned something or you figured out how to fish weeds a little bit better. Like what could we do to give fall weed fish a little love? Well, we find fishing weeds a lot in the fall, especially early in the fall. And, you know, the big thing is, you know, look for green weeds, you know, and look for good water circulation. You know, you don't want stagnant water. You don't want, you know, lots of slime and, you know, growing on the weeds. You want just good green weeds. And that seems to be the key. And we catch a lot of fishing with in the fall, you know, fishing weeds and, you know, how you fish the weeds isn't any different than any other time of the year. You know, I mean, you could run a bottom balls for the spinner along, you could run egg weight or a, a worm weight in front of a snell, you know, you could pull crankbaits on the outside edge. You can, you know, fish it with jigs. I mean, there's a lot of different things you can do, but I, you know, and I have heard this before from people and it, it, there might be some truth to it, but you know, sometimes early in the fall when you start getting some of these cold nights, it's almost like the weeds hold heat where, you know, you get some of these first cold nights in the fall and it just seems like a lot of these fish will suck into weeds or timber. And uh, I've heard people say that, you know, that the reason that is because weeds hold heat through the night. Maybe that's true. I don't know, <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, I don't know. And I don't know if it's something you can gauge or, or it's not like your temperature gauge is going to show that, but it's almost like, you know, sometimes I think there's things happening underwater with heat where, it's almost like sitting in your car in the wintertime where it's 20 below, but when you sit inside your car and the sun's hitting you, you can feel the warmth, you know, uh, there might be some things like that underwater that are happening at times that we might not quite fully understand, but, um, green weeds in the fall can definitely be a, a big factor. And, uh, in fact, I remember years ago, I wrote an article about that where when things really change and get crazy, if you can still find green weeds, that's like the one constant that hasn't changed. And so a lot of times, you know, those weed fish have been there all summer and a lot of times they'll be there well into the fall as long as those weeds are green and up, you know. And uh, so, yeah, that's definitely something to consider. But, you know, as far as the presentations, it doesn't really change. I would say if anything, I try to across the board bulk up, you know, like if I'm running a harness, I might put a, uh, a tail on it and then a minnow. Or if I'm using a jig, I might put a, say, a four-inch split tail in a minnow or two minnows, you know, I just try to bulk up the presentation. I think is probably the big thing across the board. It's probably the really the only adjustment I make. Other than that, it's the same type of fishing you're doing any other time of the year. Right on. Yeah, man, I love it. Anything that you got planned for fall fishing that uh, we could talk about? Anything cool? Uh, are you going to spend a little bit of time around devils? I imagine. Yeah, I'm going to fish at home a lot. I mean, last year we were fishing right up into November. I mean, we had a beautiful fall last year. I mean, we had so many great, nice days last year and good fishing. Uh, I know I'm going to get over to Leech Lake. I love going over to northern Minnesota in the fall, you know, with the fall colors, the trees and stuff. And Leech Lake can be so much fun in the fall. Looking forward to that. And then I'm going to maybe try to be just an opportunist where there's a good bite happening somewhere and I don't have a lot on my plate. I might just 
helping the pickup and go, you know, so. I love it, man. I love it. Even Sakakawea. I feel like we should oh, maybe yeah. go down to Sakakawea one of these one of these years. Like if it's if it's a, you know like you said like last year if it's one of those years where things are still just happening, you know, mm-hmm. in that that October November or what about um gosh, I just uh uh the the episode that'll air after you spoiler alert Brent Brent Kemnitz down on Oahu, yep. man. The things that they're oh, no. Oahu's kicking out some huge mamas in the fall. Man. Yes. We've That'd talked about list, trying yeah. to go down and see him in the fall for years, and we got to do it one of these years. I know. That's sure. like bucket list stuff right there. That's like, that'd be like, if you were from anywhere, cared to catch a big walleye, you know, on your favorite presentations, like, uh, uh, that would be like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and it's right here in the middle of, middle of South Dakota, easiest driving distance of all time. Yep. So, anyways. Anyways, right on, man. Well, I appreciate the time, dude. I love it. I love the conversation. I love how this conversation is almost timeless. You know, it's like it might be a little annoying for guys like you to have to have this conversation every year, but it's it's so cool how it changes. The technology changes. You know, the fisheries are changing. The lakes, our our home bodies of water are, are always going through something. Well, yeah, and, and we're changing too, right? I mean, we think something, then all of a sudden we, we get an experience or we see something that kind of alters our perception or you know, hmm, I guess <laughs> I don't know everything, right? I mean, that's uh, that's the reality of it. And so, yeah, I mean, we're always learning, you know, we're always, you know, we think something for a while, we fish a certain way, then, you know, hopefully you get your horizons expanded where you realize, huh, there's other ways to do this too and try to recognize what factors cause that and then, you know, try to figure out, okay, now what are the factors that would maybe make me do this versus that, you know, or, or worse, you know, the more, the more memories you have and the more things that you've had experience with, the more comfortable you are trying different things until something works, you know, ultimately. So. Yeah. That's my favorite part about this kind of thing. Talking about presentations and just all the great situations that, uh, that a guy could be in. In the fall, what better time to talk about fishing than in the fall because it's just a great time of year. But I appreciate the time, Jason. And that's a wrap, man. That's a wrap. Great conversation. Perfect for this time of year. Tons of great information, and I appreciate it. Anything else you want to add or promote or anything like that you want to throw out there? No, just promote fishing. I mean, just get out there and enjoy. I mean, there's no boats out there. There's very few people. Um, The other thing, too, is that a lot of times some of the most obvious community spots on a lake can be absolutely dynamite when nobody's been fishing them for a long time, you know, and so don't overthink it. <laughs> you know, I always joke, a lot of people know the fishing's good. They know exactly where they could go to catch fish, but there's pheasant season, there's deer season, there's all these different things going on. Just on a nice day, hook up the boat and go. Even if you haven't heard a fish report in three weeks, just go out there and do it. It is a magical time of the year. I mean, it really is. I mean, great fishing, nobody out on the water hardly. Uh, some of the last nice days, you can be in a sweatshirt, you know, I mean, it's... Uh, it's not a lot not to like, I guess. There it is, man. 